Welcome to the Commercial Real Estate Show. Thanks for joining us to lead, learn, and laugh. Learn market knowledge and best practices to lead your company's success. And that's whatever type of company you work with. And yes, laugh, we do have to have some fun along the way. Well, hello, I'm Michael Bull, your host to the world of commercial real estate. Thanks for joining us today. Remember, if you have any commercial real estate questions or if you have comments about the show, we do appreciate hearing from you. Our phone number is 888-612-SHOW. Our email is info at com, Or you can reach us through your favorite social media site. You'll find them all at the Commercial Real Estate Show website, which is commercialrealestateshow.com. You know, new construction levels in the past several years have been lower than we've seen in decades. You know, the recession and now the slow-grinding recovery have certainly taken their toll on the construction industry as well as on the professionals who design the buildings where we all live, work, and play. How have the designers and architects adjusted and persevered? Well, today we'll look at the state of the industry, what's new, and what's in store. The website Answers.com describes architecture as the art and science of designing and erecting buildings. I like the statements in Wikipedia. Architectural works in the material form of buildings are often perceived as cultural and political symbols and as works of art. Historical civilizations are often identified with their surviving architectural achievements. Well, let's meet some of the stars in the industry designing these cultural and political symbols. First, please welcome Rob Rule with Rule Joy Trammel Rubio. Founded in 2005, the firm focuses on a broad spectrum of project types, including corporate interiors, hospitality, senior living, banking, retail, mixed-use, office, as well as public and institutional design. Rob Rule, welcome to the Commercial Real Estate Show. Thanks, Michael. I'm glad to be here. Also, please welcome David Green, a principal with Perkins & Will. Perkins & Will was founded in 1935. They have 24 offices around the world, 1,500 employees, including 1,000 lead credited professionals. David, thanks for joining us today. Thanks, Michael. Happy to be here. Uh, Please welcome Jeff Piper with Piper O'Brien Herr. Founded in 1971, Piper O'Brien Herr has proven experience in over 20 market areas. They have offices in Atlanta and Pittsburgh and have completed projects in nearly every state as well as a few internationally. Jeff, welcome to the show. Thank you, Michael. Glad to be here. Please welcome Brandon Jones, Director of Green Building Services with South Face. Since 1978, South Face has worked with the construction and development industry, government agencies, and communities to promote sustainable homes, workplaces, and communities. Brandon, thanks for joining us today. Thanks, Michael. It's great to be here. Well, thank you all for being with us today. Uh, We're going to have a good time on the show. Uh, The first question I have to ask is, how is business, Jeff? Actually, things are booming right now. As of January 1st, it's like it went on full throttle. Uh, All of our different market segments seem to be cranking up at the same time. Uh, the diversity in our practice has been the key to that. Okay. So, so I, I would follow up with that, that we've seen very little downturn in the last several years, and business has been great for us as well. Okay. And uh, RuleJoy has been uh, involved in the multifamily market for many years, and obviously that, that hit the uh, firm pretty hard. But we were diverse enough to, uh, to see a, a, only a little bit of a downtick from that in the overall marketplace. But we are seeing a 2011. It's been a pretty good year, and we have op- uh, op- optimism for 2012. Okay. And Brandon, uh, is your business adjusted as well? Uh, certainly. I think you see sustainability just uh, continue to grow, um, and our, our, our organization is focused primarily on that, so we, we've had no problems at all. Okay. Well, David, how has the recession and slow recovery changed the way architects operate? Um, we are going after a lot more international work. We've been lucky in the, in the sense that we have a lot of international connections. We've had to lower fees and be a lot more efficient. 
Um, and, and we've really expanded our services beyond just conventional architectural design, and I think that's one of the things that's helped us um, adapt to this changing marketplace. And, Jeff, what adjustments have you guys made? Well, we seem to get smarter with every recession that comes down the line. Uh, well, first thing we had to do is redistribute all of our overhead tasks. We really had to figure out how to become a very lean, mean machine again, uh, something you have to learn. But the big thing we found is being in the forefront of technology, uh, keeping our systems backed up, staying state-of-the-art with what's going on out there. And we have to be a lot smarter in our client negotiations. There's just a whole lot of clients that are trying to do things differently, and we've got to really be ahead of that. Well, that makes sense. And, Rob, how do you win assignments in this environment? Well, I think Jeff just said it pretty well. I mean, obviously, uh, low fees are something that, you know, clients are really looking for these days. It's a value economy. Um, But uh, I think related to value is not just about low price. It's about really putting the right people for the right project. Uh, These days, um, it is true what people say about your, um, you're basically evaluated on your last job and your, your last performance. And uh, we, we tend to put people in, in the position for a project for an owner uh, that are going to do the best job. So that gives you them the best value, even though you may not be the low price. If you have the right people with the right experience uh, solving the right problems, that really uh, helps you win the commissions. And Jeff, anything different? You guys are winning assignments? The, just you know, dealing with the reputation, I mean, you have got to maintain high-quality performance all the way through. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, we, well, I've been spending a lot of time at cocktail parties all over the place. But beyond <laughs> like that, that, really, um, <laughs> the, the one interesting thing that we've seen is a lot of clients asking for much more data-driven explanations of what we do. So there's a, a much stronger relationship between what we're saying we can do and, and explaining the, the actual outcomes. And that's going to be something I think that's going to run throughout this show maybe is the, 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 the increase in the requirements or the, or the components that we've got to put in place for these processes. Okay. Well, Rob, what type of assignments are most prevalent right now? Uh, we're seeing a huge uptick in the multifamily rental market uh, all across the country, in fact. And it's uh, all different project types, from the urban uh, infill residential to uh, suburban garden apartments. Okay. And, Jeff, uh, what do you see most prevalent? Well, right now, data centers, uh, all the cr- mission-critical work is extremely strong. The uh, industrial is picking up. Uh, amazingly, we just landed a retail project, a significant retail project. That's good to hear. And that was quite a surprise. And uh, so that's been good. National rollout work, government's always been strong. Education seems to always have money, fortunately. And the uh, ecclesiastical market has been extremely strong for us this last quarter. Great. David, what are you seeing? Well, I work specifically in one area, um, which is science and technology, and we're really seeing an increase in the number of uh, research buildings that are being built throughout the country. And the really interesting thing about this is they're now being built in urban areas, so they're actually being used as economic drivers for the revitalization of cities. And so I like to say research is really the industrial revolution of the 21st century. And I think that this, this core area is going to be driving all of these other things that we're thinking about, from multifamily to, to, to retail to all of the things we think of in great, rich, mixed-use environments. Well, you guys sound like you're certainly busy. Uh, with these clients you're working with, what are some of their top concerns, Rob? Right? Capital. Capital. The access to capital. Yeah. Show me the money, right? Mm-hmm. What else? Well, we're also seeing that uh, it apparently it's liability because owners are trying to shed every bit of that to us that they possibly can. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then just cost management. I mean, they really want to be on top of every dollar being spent in the project. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. I think it's cost management. I also think it's understanding the, the, the levels of, of um, requirements for the project starting out. And I think that we're also seeing some very interesting things that have to do with larger infrastructure um, projects that are helping build individual developer-driven projects in an interesting way that takes some of the liability, as you're saying, off the, um, you know, off the table and gives them a better sense that they're going to be able to build the building for the cost that they've um, uh, 
proposed and also on time. Okay. Well, costs are obviously important. What about finishing projects? Are developers and lenders and users, are they controlled there? And uh, what are some safety nets for them there, Rob? Uh, what we're seeing uh, right now is uh, maybe eight years ago, uh, you couldn't build a project fast enough. And a lot of times that led to uh, a, not a very tight control on costs. What we're seeing now are smarter owners and developers that are uh, engaging contractors early on in pre-construction services uh, and other PM consultants to manage the design and costing process. And then they're actually waiting to get full construction documents to bid drawing so that you can get a more competitive uh, process uh, for the price at the end. Okay. Land prices sure are attractive right now. How are construction prices, Rob? I don't know if anybody knows. We talk, <laughs> we talk to our contractors, and uh, there's 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 not as much historical data out there in the past uh, you know three years as there was before that. So they're they're fairly volatile. We see some things that are historically low. When you start things, see some things that are rising right now. Well, is labor uh, lower, David? Uh, what are you seeing out there? Um, yeah, in a lot of places, labor is lower. Obviously, it, it, it depends on the, um, the union structures in the different areas, and there's definitely regional impact. And we're seeing some areas in the country right now where we're getting very good costing on projects, and we're seeing others where it's very, very um, inflated from what it was two years ago. Okay, we're going to take a short break. When we get back, we're going to talk about mixed-use projects and what is the design-critical issues in mixed-use projects and other information for you. I'm Michael Bull, and this is the Commercial Real Estate Show. We'll be right back. Commercial Real Estate Show podcast are brought to you commercial free by accounting firm Babish, Neiman, Kornman, and Johnson. Quality, responsiveness, and integrity best describe their accounting and advisory services. Visit bnkj.com. And by commercial brokerage firm Bull Realty. When your business requires proven performance, visit bullrealty.com. Welcome back. I'm Michael Ball, and this is America's Commercial Real Estate Show. You know, if you'd like to know the absolute latest on any commercial real estate subjects or property sectors, check out our show podcast. We have some great third-quarter market updates for each property sector and a very interesting show with Fitch Ratings, PricewaterhouseCoopers, and Ernst & Young on commercial real estate market and REITs. And there was some great 2012 best bets shared there in that show. You can download these shows while they're still available on iTunes and on the show website, commercialrealestateshow.com. Well, today we're getting an inside look at the current world of architecture and design. My guests are Rob Rule, David Green, Jeff Piper, and Brandon Jones. Uh, gentlemen, let's talk about mixed-use projects. They've certainly become more prevalent. They've gone through the cycle. Uh, we've seen how these uh, th these mixed-use projects can work. What have we learned about how the various uses uh, interact, David? Well, I think we've solved one of the big problems, which is keeping the noise out of the bars for the residential uh, units <laughs> above, um, which we laugh about that, but it's really a, a, an issue. But I think what we're really starting to see now is an acceptance of mixed-use that we didn't see 20 years ago, and we're starting to see – um, projects like hospitals actually uh, uh, having mixed-use components in the hospital proper itself, and like then reaching karaoke, back out like a karaoke bar. E exactly, it's <laughs> unbelievable. And so you've got a, you've got these great uh, these great owners that are starting to incorporate these things into their projects, which is really unbelievably um, interesting and a big change. Yeah, it is. It is really cool what we're seeing in the marketplace with a lot of different mixed-use uh, projects, a lot of adaptive reuse in in, uh, in urban centers, uh, re repurposing buildings that uh, had. Uh, what might have been factories that, that, are, that have some uncommon uses now, and then also factoring in transportation, how you, how you get people there uh, with mass transit, with uh, pedestrian, you know, enhancing pedestrian traffic, and also the fact that the car's not going away and you've got to deal with cars, but how do you deal with that uh, smartly and intelligently 
overseeing uh, projects that really do some good thinking about how you handle all that. And right. a much, much higher technology backbone infrastructure mm-hmm. in these projects, far beyond what we saw when we just saw residential over retail. It's an entirely different game now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's interesting. Just because there's residential over that retail doesn't mean that retail is going to do well. That's they right. do need that access and that visibility, right? right. Exactly. Well, David, what are some of the more critical design features for these mixed-use projects? It, it's interesting. I think that there's always an issue of service and back-of-house operations and parking distribution, and especially with these more high-tech components, you really have to think about things. I mean, things like vent hoods for research um, elements in the buildings and the, the sort of mix of the different people. But one thing that's nice about that, we're starting to see a lot of, um, a lot of bringing public components into the more private areas um, above the ground floor. And so I think that those are going to be some of the critical design features we see moving into the future. Interesting. Rob, what else do you see there? Um, I guess just uh, creating places that people enjoy being in, you know, space, space they enjoy. And, and a lot of that is like on the street level, the ground level experience uh, that people can really feel safe and comfortable walking along the street and actually seeing activity within the buildings, you know, and opening up the buildings as much as possible on the ground level with as much visibility for the uh, seeing the activity inside. I think that's really important. And even beyond that, flexibility for programming for the tenants that come in is critical so, in this process. Right. Well, mixed-use projects are, you know, are so attractive. If I didn't have 20 kids and 18 dogs, I'd certainly live in a mixed-use project. <laughs> uh, well, let's talk about sustainability, uh, Brandon. Uh, can growing green bring in the green? Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, you know, the first thing you're going to look at is lower operating cost. Um, and we certainly consider energy and water uh, as the, the, the top pieces of that. But there's other things like uh, the indoor environment, how that's going to affect your occupants. Uh, Can I reduce the number of sick days? I think another uh, big part of going green is being uh, proactive versus reactive with facilities management. Uh, You want to make sure your building is operating as intended. Um, There's also a lot of great federal and state incentives. the the dollar eighty tax deduction from the federal government is still available until twenty thirteen. Uh, there's a fabulous website uh, www.dsireusa.org that tells you all of your uh, state, uh, local, and federal incentives. Okay, and we'll put that uh, website on the show page. Uh, Rob, uh, are clients uh, going green? Uh, yes, they are. In fact, every uh, office building uh, that we are working on, uh, the, the clients from the get-go are, are saying these need to be green in some fashion. Uh, typically, it's LEED certified, but uh, there are, all, are also other sustainable initiatives, but all of them want to have sustainable practices incorporated into into their projects. And, Jeff, what do you see there? Well, one of the things we have found out is, in fact, tying back to what Brandon talked about, we have actually implemented a program in our office called Financial Engineering. During the... Uh, uh, design development phase of the project, we actually bring in both the lead component and the financial, all these incentive programs, to try to help the client to optimize their return on their investment throughout the whole program. Every client has a different different need structure, and so we have to listen specifically to what they're up to, what they're trying to accomplish long term, and then blend all that together. Right. Well, where can clients get the fastest returns, Brandon? Um, I would say on the front end, certainly water efficiency. Um, You know, it costs you little to nothing to put in a more efficient uh, plumbing fixture. Uh, Certainly lighting uh, through the the use of good lighting controls or daylighting. Um, The envelope, uh, again, on the front end, it it really costs you little to nothing to make some really good choices about how you're going to deal with that. And, uh, Jeff, uh, what do you see as some fast return items? Well, it's really getting back to this whole technology issue and getting all these systems. The water reclaim systems are probably the easiest and the fastest to be able to implement. 
uh, we were finding that there's a lot of a lot of attractiveness to that. Okay, you know, we're going to a lot of office buildings, and you're in there at seven or eight o'clock, and you sort of seem to see a lot of lights on and things. There seems to be a lot of inefficiencies out there that we can fix. Well, let's talk about uh, some examples of sustainable energy practices and the returns from those investments. Uh, David, give us some examples. Well, it's interesting. We actually just finished an adaptive use of an old 1980s office building, and and we moved our new office there. And it's been an amazing process because we have things like um, uh, automatic lighting, water reclamation. We've actually done everything we can possibly do in this building, and we're using it as a kind of testing ground. We figured, you know, if we're going to ask our clients to do this, we might as well test these things on ourselves and get the bugs out. So we're monitoring everything. It's been, I have to say, it hasn't all worked perfectly, but what we're doing is finding out what doesn't work and moving through that process. We've got in-house uh, uh, power generation. We've got photovoltaics. It's been an amazing sort of process. We don't have any forced air in our entire office building. Imagine that. Wow. No air handlers. And we all thought, I thought they were crazy when we, when we proposed it, but it actually works amazingly well. well. We have a lot of hot air in our office with a lot of brokers. <laughs> well, yeah. that's, it's great in the winter. It's a little tough in the summer, but in the wintertime, we have no problems. <laughs> okay. And, Brandon, what are some other examples of sustainable energy practices? Um, you know, we're seeing a lot to do with ventilation lately. Uh, one one technology is sort of doing the dedicated outdoor air system. So can I separate uh, my outdoor air stream and precondition that before it gets to my major HVAC equipment? Uh, you know, you can get a return on that maybe in three to five years. Um, demand control ventilation. Uh, if I have large spaces that have high variability in occupancy, uh, let me only ventilate it when I need to. Again, this can have really, really good returns, sometimes under a year. Retro commissioning, uh, again, coming back into your building after it's been uh, in, in place for, for several years and, and making sure that the systems are working appropriately. Uh, another really good return, sometimes less than a year. Okay. And what is uh, an example of advanced thinking, sustainable design, David? Well, again, I think that what we're seeing is a lot of the, um, the thinking in sustainable design being data-driven, and so the monitoring processes are critical. And what we're really trying to do in this is ensure that the decisions we're making are getting us the results that we really want to see, and I think that's really where we're starting to see things go beyond LEED. We do a lot of work around the world that's not covered by LEED requirements, and we see buildings, we see c- clients requiring that we're building buildings with much higher standards and performance-based standards in places like China, the Middle East, even in Africa. I mean, Africa is a great place because they're so, they have such resource problems, so we have to design things in a way. And we're taking that information and bringing it back to the United States. So I really see in the next couple of years a radical transformation and progression in the way we think about sustainability. Interesting. And, Brandon, what are some other uh, advanced thinking sustainable design issues? I think people are really moving towards this idea of net zero. So net zero energy, net zero water, net zero waste. Uh, there's, there's a few programs out there, such as the Living Building Challenge, um, uh, as, as well as Architecture 2030 that are really sort of pushing the envelope with this. Um, and then beyond that, it's really sort of net positive. How can we be restorative? Okay. Well, very good. We're going to take a short break. We'll have more intel for you in just a moment. I'm Michael Bull, and this is the Commercial Real Estate Show. We'll be right back. Commercial Real Estate Show podcast are brought to you commercial-free by accounting firm Babish, Neiman, Kornman, and Johnson. Quality, responsiveness, and integrity best describe their accounting and advisory services. Visit bnkj.com. And by commercial brokerage firm Bull Realty. When your business requires proven performance, visit bullrealty.com. Welcome back. I'm Michael Bull, and this is the Commercial Real Estate Show. Do you use Twitter yet? 
Well, it's fun, it's informative, and you can dive in the Twitter River or not whenever you like. If you'd like to access some great commercial real estate tweets and information, you're invited to follow the show and the host, yours truly. Uh, the accounts are at the top of the homepage at commercialrealestateshow.com. Uh, speaking of Twitter, we have a show coming up in a few weeks on social media for business. You don't want to miss that show. And it doesn't matter what business you're in, you're going to like this show. If you'd like to receive an email or an update through your social media site that's favorite to you about upcoming show topics uh, or get an email, go to the show website, commercialrealestateshow.com. Well, today we're getting an inside look at the world of architecture and design. My guests are Rob Rule, David Green, Jeff Piper, and Brandon Jones. Uh, gentlemen, I'd like to talk about lead certification. It's a, it's a big deal for a lot of users, a lot of developers. Are all new Class A office buildings being built lead certified, uh, Jeff? New Class A office buildings, really? <laughs> In this marketplace? There are no, a couple. No, yeah, we're, we're st- we are seeing that kind of an activity. Uh, really, the big thing we're finding now is we are seeing some pushback from some of our clients as it relates to lead, only because of some of the expense related to it. Uh, they all want that, that, that certificate to hang up in the lobby. They want it as a marketing piece. Yeah. But beyond that point, I mean, it's, there's not a big push. A lot of government agencies, though, are requiring it. It's mandatory. Uh, so I, that's kind of how we're seeing the market. I'm sure these guys are seeing a little different aspect than some of their practices. Yeah, well, I know a lot of the tenants that, that we represent, uh, it's certainly a check in the box uh, for their requirements. And then, Brandon, are, are there some other alternatives other than LEED? Uh, certainly, there's there's many sort of ways to get to your sustainability goals. Uh, you've got Energy Star, you've got Green Globes. Um, I, I mean, literally, you can just say, "Hey, we want to focus on this." Um, certainly, the nice thing about LEED is is a true third party certification, and it, it really holds your feet to the fire. So it's a good program, but it's not the only animal out there. And Rob, how important is LEED certification? Oh, it's very important, um, not only from the overall you know, uh, point of view of our communities, but uh, the you know, clients think that that is something that is uh, very important for their uh, brand. Uh, the owners that we work with, uh, they think that's, uh, that's a good, that's a core critical part of who they are. Yeah. Yeah, it would seem to me if, uh, if I was going to build a building, it would need to be lead so that uh, you can compete in the marketplace, right. if for nothing else, for uh, cost, the CAM cost. Uh, uh, David, what do you see? Well, I, you know, we're actually starting to see it expand into districts. And so there's a thing called Lead ND, which is a neighborhood district. And it's, it's really interesting because we're seeing infrastructure components getting set up so that, so that groups can come in and sort of test the efficiency of some of these sustainable components. So we're, we're thinking about it more like a plug-and-play system where people – plug their buildings in, they test things, they can change out systems. And I think that's really the future. A lot of our clients are actually demanding this because they're research clients and they want to be able to test the ideas that, that we're putting in place. So I think that, that, again, I keep harping on this, but the data-driven components and the testing and the flexibility is really going to be the key to the marketplace in a lot of these ways in the future. And, Brandon, uh, South Face uh, is a leader in LEED certification. Tell me about South Face's role in the marketplace. Well, Michael, we're we're an environmental nonprofit, and we certainly consider ourselves uh, a resource to design and construction industry professionals, um, particularly architects, GCs. Um, primarily, we we offer education and technical assistance. Uh, on the education side, uh, it is a lot of uh, building science based training, a lot of certification based training. Uh, we do this both on residential and commercial. A lot of our residential uh, certifications are BPI, HERS. Uh, we certainly do a, a wide variety of, of lead training, uh, such as the lead green associate, lead BDNC, uh, et cetera. Um, on the technical assistance side, we really try to, to look at ways that we can either have a broad market impact or, or sort of fill a gap that the marketplace has not otherwise looked at. Um, 
we've really been working on energy code adoption, uh, working with states on, on the adoption side, uh, as well as uh, uh, how do you enforce it, um, you know, enforcement and, and, and compliance. So this has been a, a, a really big focus of ours for the last three years because, uh, again, it's not the greenest thing out there, but, you know, if I take 10,000 homes, 10,000 buildings, and raise them up just a little bit, it's just a huge, huge impact. Um, also, small commercial. Uh, you know, here in the southeast where we primarily work, about 85% of all commercial buildings are 25,000 square feet and less. Uh, a lot of them are doing nothing. Uh, LEED, again, is a great program, but from a cost pers- perspective, it's just much too expensive, soft cost as, as opposed to the hard cost. Uh, we're actually bringing a, a, a new program on board next week called Earthcraft for Light Commercial. It's, it's geared specifically towards buildings that are 15,000 square feet and under. Uh, it's very prescriptive, it's low on documentation, and very affordable. So we're, we're, we're extremely excited about this and think it's going to really help the marketplace. Um, if you want to get some more information, take a look at our website. It's www.southface.org. Okay. And I, I would say, you know, it's interesting that, that Brandon says he's a nonprofit. And some of us, I think, in the design industries might consider ourselves nonprofit <laughs> after the last couple of years. Right. But, right. <laughs> but we're starting to see a trend where, where for-profit uh, design firms are aligning themselves with nonprofits throughout the United States. And it's been a huge benefit to us because we can help make decisions that are benefiting the client through this collaboration. Yes, and hopefully we'll all be to profit soon, right? Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) All right, we're going to take a short break. We have a lot more in store for you. I'm Michael Ball, and you're listening to the Commercial Real Estate Show. We'll be right back. Commercial Real Estate Show podcasts are brought to you commercial-free by accounting firm Babish, Neiman, Kornman, and Johnson. Quality, responsiveness, and integrity best describe their accounting and advisory services. Visit bnkj.com. And by commercial brokerage firm Bull Realty. When your business requires proven performance, visit bullrealty.com. Welcome back. I'm Michael Bull, and this is America's Commercial Real Estate Show. Do you provide the best professional services in your market area? If you do, help our listeners find you. Check out the professional directory at commercialrealestateshow.com. It's free to post, and it's free to search. Well, today we're getting an inside look at the current world of architecture and design. My guests are Rob Rule, David Green, Jeff Piper, and Brandon Jones. Uh, gentlemen, let's talk about office build-outs. Uh, what are some of the more current recent trends and, and best practices in office design, Rob? Well, um, in this market, obviously, uh, downsizing is a, uh, a current event that's happening all over the country, and we're seeing a lot of uh, shifting in the marketplace in the real estate world. I'm sure you're seeing some of that, Michael, uh, as well. Um, as people, as companies do that, uh, we're seeing a trend towards uh, not only uh, looking at uh, different alternative space and different space for their needs, but also trying to make that space more efficient. So there's a lot more uh, thought into the, the planning process to, uh, to, to take advantage of some of the market trends with uh, you know, communal workspaces, uh, collaborative workspaces, uh, even hoteling spaces where, where there's the virtual office uh, becomes a component within that planning process. And we're finding that uh, uh, companies can actually uh, uh, where they were previously in 50,000 square feet, they can get even more people in 40,000 square feet and feel better about it. Can you quit helping them do that? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And Jeff, uh, what are you seeing? What are some of the more recent trends? Well, actually, consistent with what he's talking about is this desire now to work at home. We're Mm -hmm. seeing more and more of that as a trend. And how our clients are responding to that 
you know, you go out and, and start building individual office space, which used to be my office, and now all of a sudden it could, should become anybody's office. So, you know, there's a whole adaptive thing that has to happen there, it, all, the way to, all the way down to the furniture within that space. You still need your stuff, but if you're not there on Tuesday and Bob's there on Tuesday, Bob has got to be able to have his stuff. So you have to really, the offices get a little bit larger, but they start become multifunctioning. And that's really, at the end of the day, resulting in a lot of efficiency and space for the clients. Well, right. if, I'm, if I'm sharing office, that means I have to take down my picture of Kane. Picture? I think, don't you have a picture of yourself in your office? Is that what I saw? <laughs> no, that's a painting. Oh, the painting, that's right. <laughs> yeah. but, and it's, it's interesting because we're seeing clients spend more money up front on the, the, the building systems that allow for this flexibility. So it's not just about the lowest per square foot cost at the initial build out. So, so there is a change occurring, I think, in the way we're building buildings today. Yeah, that, well, that's interesting. Well, it's an, it's an interesting uh, economic time uh, for cities and municipalities around the country. Is it a good time for rezoning and development planning, David? You know, I, it's a great time right now. I mean, there's the sort of old adage that when you're not building, you're planning, but there's something else that's happening throughout the country, and it's a real reevaluation of the regulations that we've set up over the last 70 years that tell us how to develop. And I think a lot of jurisdictions are realizing that they've got just very Byzantine and complex regulatory structures. And so, we're seeing design professional, professionals and the development community all come together with the jurisdictional officials to try to really streamline these processes and identify a couple of the really critical things that make great cities and great districts and really focus on those and not focus on the, the 7,000 things that you see in a typical ordinance or set of requirements. And I think it's it, at this point in time, if people can get out in front of this, especially in the development community, they can really have an impact on the way we're going to see cities built, buildings built, things developed over the next coming decades. Right. We sell a lot of land around the southeast, and some of the cities that we'll talk to about some of the land in their market areas, they'll, they'll tell us, look, we'll build anything that makes sense, so we'll rezone this property for whatever you want that makes sense here. So it, uh, Right. That's like a, a, mm-hmm. I mean, it's exactly right. And it's just making sure that, that, we're, that we're not making bad decisions right now, you know, as we may have in the past. And I think that, that the level of collaboration now is higher than it has been, at least in my career, that I've seen in the last 25 years between the private sector and the public sector. And I think we have an opportunity to really take advantage of this right now. Well, I'm going to build a racetrack in Buckhead then. And uh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and, uh, Brandon, what do you see? Well, I think from a regulatory perspective, we are definitely seeing uh, energy codes being put in place. Uh, one could argue maybe that's a bad thing, but I, I think bringing the entire country up to, to a level playing field is important. And I, I think from, a, from an architect's perspective, hey, it, it – I know I'm going to have the same sort of regulatory environment in, in Mississippi as I'm going to have in, in, in Wisconsin as I am in California. That That's a good thing. And uh, just overall for, for the entire country and our energy usage, it's a, it's, a, it's a great thing. Right. And as much as I like to argue with Brandon, I think he's right there. I think just the, <laughs> the, the level playing field is critical for the development community because you understand what it is you're going to have to do going into it, and it doesn't vary from jurisdiction to jurisdiction as much. And we're seeing this happen in every state pretty much across the country right now where they're trying to set up more logical processes for the, for the development of different areas. Yeah, just as something as simple as a permitting process, uh, being more efficient is, a, is an incredible help, isn't it? Right, absolutely. Anything that can reduce carry costs and reduce the number of unknowns is a huge benefit for everyone. Okay. Well, gentlemen, what are some tips for corporate users and developers? Jeff? Well, this may sound very self-serving, but we really, we encourage our clients, don't start skimping on fees. I mean, there is this huge pushback right now. We've heard it from everybody in this group today. And the the time we spend is the money that they're going to save long-term. We need time to explore options. 
We've got to look at various ways of communicating this information to them through the 3D visualization, BIM modeling, all these things that are really going to help bring them a much more cost-efficient, long-term project. And, you know, you start getting this, oh, we, we, we can't spend an extra percent. Well, that is really a very short-sighted thought process. Mm-hmm. I mean, they really need to spend time, go through their... If you look at what we can do to save money on every single aspect, I mean, some of the things Brandon's talked about today, I mean, looking at what are the different ways that we can go in, that's that's where the key is that's going to be for short-term and long-term operational costs. Pay now and save later, right? Exactly. Right. And Brandon? Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, traditionally we've been very much a, a first-cost-driven uh, industry, and we've got to start thinking long term, especially these these clients that that are going to be in their buildings thirty, fifty years. It's it's extremely important to look beyond just that initial construction cost. Yeah, that's a good point. All right, we're going to take a quick break. Hey. If you appreciate the show, do reach out to our show sponsors. I'm Michael Bull, and this is the Commercial Real Estate Show. We'll be right back. Commercial Real Estate Show podcast are brought to you commercial-free by accounting firm Babish, Neiman, Kornman, and Johnson. Quality, responsiveness, and integrity best describe their accounting and advisory services. Visit bnkj.com. And by commercial brokerage firm Bull Realty. When your business requires proven performance, visit bullrealty.com. Welcome back. I'm Michael Ball, and this is America's Commercial Real Estate Show. Well, today we're getting an inside look at the current world of architecture and design. My guests are Rob Rule, David Green, Jeff Piper, and Brandon Jones. And David, uh, what are some other tips for corporate users and developers? Well, I know we're being recorded here today, and I may be proven wrong in the coming years, but <laughs> I have one very specific thing to say, and that is buy land next to research universities. Great. That's a good uh, good tip. And Rob? Well, that segues into what I was going to say, too. I think people want to feel connected, uh, particularly uh, in, in this environment that's troubling uh, today. I think uh, having uh, communities develop around the sort of the, the research facilities, the medical facilities, and uh, we're seeing a, a, a trend towards that, which I think just expresses the fact that people want to feel connected in communities. And uh, a lot of the developments that we're doing, particularly in the multifamily urban uh, areas are all about uh, trying to make people feel connected, uh, whether they're located in t- transit-oriented districts um, and, and other uh, entertainment districts or things like that. It's happening in cities all over the country. I think people really want to feel connected. Yeah. What's well, interesting, talking about buying land in, in general, uh, we just did a show. We covered the ULI and the PricewaterhouseCoopers Emerging Trends for 2012. And in, in that report, they have some best bets for 2012, and one of the best bets is buying land. I mean, it's incredible uh, time right now to, to buy some good property, even if you're a user, and uh, get it in the right location is certainly important. Well, what's coming in the future, guys? Uh, what are what's the future design? What might commercial buildings uh, look like uh, ten years from now, Jeff? Well, rubbing that crystal ball is kind of challenging. <laughs> uh, the right now, the, we all know buildings are getting smarter and smarter and smarter, and the challenge is we don't know what fifteen years is going to bring. If you look back fifteen years ago, you never dreamed of an iPhone. And here right, we are. Right. Okay, so trying to prepare, <clears throat> trying to prepare your buildings for that advancement for future remodels. Uh, the one thing we have always told every one of our clients is stub conduits everywhere. Yeah. You're going to run a wire, and you don't know what it's going to look like. But just you've got to be prepared for that. Yeah. I, I agree 100. percent And I just would 
reinforce the the two critical areas are flexibility, real true flexibility, and technological infrastructure. And those are the two things that are going to drive drive office and commercial development, I really believe, for the, for the next 20 years at least. And, uh, Brandon, what do you see for the future? Uh, well, I think sustainability is here to stay um, 100%, um, and it's really going to be a lot about energy reduction. Uh, the DOE is definitely pushing this. Uh, you've got things like the Better Buildings Challenge, uh, 20% reduction in energy usage by the year 2020. Uh, these things are just happening all across the United States. Okay. And you guys are on the front lines in the industry. What are your predictions for development volume in 2012 and for the next several years, Jeff? Well, it, it appears to be strengthening. At least it is right now, but this could turn into a dime. I mean, the conditions really have not changed, but there's that pent-up demand out there. So we're seeing, in fact, we just left ICSC convention, and it was just as strong as it could possibly be. Uh, very, very upbeat. Uh, just respect of your drive around town, you're actually seeing small retail centers starting to infill, and that was a really good sign that things are starting to come come back to life. Mm-hmm. All right, David, what do you expect? Well, I follow up on something Rob said, and I really think that the economic drivers over the next couple of years, at least, are going to be research and healthcare, and I think that it's it's a kind of critical transformation because these huge um, uh, uh, economic machines and engines are actually being inserted into these these sort of districts, as Rob was describing. And they're becoming the thing that's going to really drive redevelopment in these areas because people have to work in these areas. People have to buy food in these areas. And it's no longer these districts that you're driving to. So I think there's going to be a, a kind of follow-on of amazing development potential as, as hospital units and, and research districts start to emerge and grow in these, in these very uh, urban districts. And so I think that's really what's going to drive these things. And everything else, you know, multifamily and, and, and uh, retail are going to follow along that. And I think set up the, the beginnings, I hope, the beginnings of, of the emergence of a, a much more vital economy, at least in terms of building in the, in the coming years. Well, that's great. Well, gentlemen, thanks for joining us today and sharing your insight. If you'd like more information from or about our guests, their contact information and websites are available for you at commercialrealestateshow.com. Can you join us next week? Well, I hope so. I promise you another informative show. Thanks for spending some time with us. I'm Michael Ball. And until next week, be sure that you always lead, learn, and laugh and join us for the Commercial Real Estate Show.